Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on officiating a wedding, not wanting to shake hands for fear of germs, answering questions about future children, and writing thank yous on pre-printed stationery. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about eating pudding, Mm. fork, or spoon. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on remote work. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And Dan, we're it's, it feels like a fresh new year as we're back at the office. Doesn't it? (laughs) I don't want to say that the book launches behind us because you're kind of always launching a book no matter what. And there's always opportunity there. But it does feel like we're kind of staring down a brand new year with lots of things to do. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm so curious. Are there um, top of mind things? Are there things you're particularly looking forward to? Well, there definitely, I mean, in my personal life, I'm looking forward to the travel, but in my professional life, there are some like smaller chunk projects that I think were either started in 2022 or idealized in in 2022 that we're going to get to this year. Things like a business etiquette audio series, the tip a day program that we've talked about that had to be put on hold when the, when the launch ramped up and other projects that you and I have talked about really wanting to get going on that I think are actually, we're going to have the time to get going on them again this year. And I'm really, I'm excited about that. You know, they're not a big book. They're not a hundredth anniversary celebration, but they are kind of the, the, the work that you and I keep doing here at the Emily Post Institute. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I had a good vacation. Maybe, (laughs) maybe I'm just like excited to work on different things, but um, there's also the Emily Post game. I think you and I are going to be having like worked on it this year. And then I think it'll be coming out in 2024. I could be wrong about that. If it comes out earlier, I'll, I'll make an adjustment to this. (laughs) The card game, the trivia card game. That's a little bit Mm -hmm. humorous. That basically all of our awesome etiquette audience is going to like win aces. Like they're just going to do it. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) No, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, yes, yes. I know exactly what, you're talking about and last year was a year where we had a lot going on and new things would come up and they would get backburnered or they'd be put on hold or in that oh this is this is worthwhile this would be interesting but let's return to it when we actually have some time to spend on it and that magical moment has occurred where we have that time and that list is not small it's definitely a a good list and and like you, I'm feeling there are a lot of things that were really worthwhile that were put off and that will be fun to get back to. And, well, fun is a, a exciting <laughs> approach to it, but definitely they will fill hey, up the our plate. our work is pretty fun. Our work is pretty fun. <laughs> it's funny, though, because you, you started off by saying, I'm really looking forward to travel. And I did. Then I started you jumped... off with the personal and jumped right to work. <laughs> and as soon as you said it, I was... Thinking to myself, I am so excited. I am going to be taking Anisha to Disney World with me right at yes. the beginning of February. Have some client work down in Orlando. Really looking forward to it. 
I hope I get to talk more about it. I need to check with the client before I say anything, but yeah. the the whole design of the experience is it's very much intended to allow for families to take advantage of everything that Orlando has to offer if you want to do that. And I was able to sneak Anisha in on this one. When my parents heard about it, they decided they wanted to come as well. And I never thought I would be so excited to be going to Disney World. I feel like I'm I'm seeing it and experiencing it through a six-year-old. And that is a really magical thing. And it gets me tingly just talking about it. The second you said I'm looking forward to travel, I was like, I have to share this with the awesome etiquette audience because it, it very it's much is one. at the front of my mind right now. Well, I think it'll be a really cool trip. It'll be really fun to hear Nisha's experience of it <laughs> and to see the pictures. But it, it is. I'm I'm excited for 2023. I feel like it's it's going to be a really good year. <laughs> 23 is a lucky number for me also, has is been it? for a long time. And Interesting. There's fun numerology about numbers that are, it's a single number created out of two and three. So 23 and 32 are both lucky numbers for me because they contain one, twos and threes and you can play a lot of games with that. 23 has ones in it, cuz? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm only seeing a two and a three. <laughs> it's a single number comprised of the numbers oh, two so and three. Oh, so that's where you get the one from? <laughs> I know. It's a bit of, it's a nerdy math thing. I'm teasing you. I actually, I dig numerology. I do think it's really cool. I'm a three if anybody's counting, but it's very, it, it is, it's, it's fun. I'm glad, I'm glad that when you see 2023 coming into the dates that we're using that you're like, oh, oh, yes, yes, my number. <laughs> I pick it if I'm choosing lotto numbers, things like that. Nice. So yeah, writing a lot of 23s. It'll be a good year. <laughs> you know what else is going to be good, Lizzie Boast? What's going to be really good, Dan Senning? We have a bunch of really good questions in today's show. Ooh. Shall we get to answering some etiquette questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. And please do send us multiple questions right now. We are looking for any and all questions because Chris is going to be taking some time off again. And we want to make sure that you guys have continuous shows until he returns. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
Our first question this week is titled Wedding Officiant Wonders. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks for the great podcast. My best friend and his fiance asked me to officiate their wedding. I am really excited and said yes. I want to make sure I do a good job and get it right. Do you have any pointers? Thanks so much in advance, Lynn. Lynn, thank you so much for this question. You are talking to two people who have officiated weddings before, and we are very thrilled to get to answer this one. (laughs) Dan, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty proud of my officiant status for the wedding that I officiated. How about you? Oh, it is so cool. It is such an honor to be asked (laughs) to do this. And I I just want to reflect that back to Lynn. I, I... I'm so happy for you, and it really is. It's a special thing to be a part of, and clearly you're thinking about it. I think you're well on your way to doing a phenomenal job. Lizzie, what else can we tell Lynn that might help her continue that way to a phenomenal job? I think there are definitely some details that you want to hash out. There is some legalness that you need to deal with. And I don't know what states have different rules about this, but I know that in Vermont, for instance, there was a fee the officiant paid in order to register the marriage license. And that was something that the couple I married actually ended up paying on my behalf. So they were very clear with me that they were going to take care of all of the paperwork and do everything and they would make it really easy for me. Mm Mm-hmm. If folks aren't or haven't said anything like that, you might just want to take a minute to look into what the process is, what the fees are, what the kind of rules around it are so that you know what you're responsible for, what you need to do, and how much it will cost. Outside of that, my biggest suggestion, Dan, is because I failed in this department – Be very clear about what your script for this is going to be, whether that's the couple really preparing something for you, but listing out the different steps of the ceremony. I might even take it so far as to say, get all that info from them, discuss with them how they want things to proceed, the types of things they want said, that sort of thing, and then write it up yourself so that you're very familiar with it. My couple gave me the sheet, which I I had had access to, but hadn't looked over very thoroughly. And when it came time for the kiss, I hadn't realized that the heading section was kiss. And then there were words below it that I was to read before the kiss. And Uh. so I saw kiss and I went, it's time for the kiss. (laughs) Like, you know, and then it was like, oh, Lizzie, you just botched that. They didn't care. This was intentionally a very casual wedding. But I think figuring out the style, the formality, the words that they want said, the order that things will happen in, it's all just really good to prepare yourself well. I wish I had done a better job with mine. I like the way you're thinking about the totality of the experience. I I think it can be very easy to think about what am I going to say and to really focus on the the specific words, the script that you're going to be responsible for. But I was thinking about really encouraging Lynn to take a big step back. And this is probably happening pretty naturally already, but really lean into it, be extra curious about it. Talk to your best friend and their fiance about what they want the wedding to feel like, what it is they're really hoping to get out of it. And Sometimes the role that a officiant plays is about the words that you say. Sometimes it's about emceeing the event in some ways. Mm, you, you'll be like bringing people in and out and really thinking about the tone that they want to strike, the, the feel of the event that they're looking for mm-hmm. is something that you can really be supportive of in a lot of different ways, subtle ways that, that might really make an impact in terms of the impression that is created Lizzie Post, your sister gives a piece of wedding advice that I just love. She always encourages people to do whatever is going to make them feel married. When people were asking her, well, should I do it this way or that way? What's the right way to do it? Oftentimes her response would be, if there wasn't a sort of a clear etiquette direction just in terms of how you treat people, Mm -hmm. that that choice is up to you. What's going to make you feel married? What's going to make this event significant for you and the people that you want to be there? And I would really be extra curious (laughs) about what that is. What is that thing that they're looking for, for this to to fulfill for them? That's the the memory and the sense of it that they want to take away. Yeah. Lizzie, you told about an experience you had where you felt like you came up just a smidge short. I have one of those as well. Let's be real. Like I messed it up in my head. It's forever a mistake. They don't care, but in my head, it's a mistake. (laughs) I was standing up there and in come the bride and in come the groom. And it's a very traditional wedding setup, this particular wedding. I did 
other weddings that were much less traditional or had very different formats and structures. But in this particular one, there were a lot of people there and were right up in front. And after the bride and groom came in, everyone stayed standing. So I hadn't even <laughs> said anything yet. And fortunately, the bride's father was right up front and he was sort of a big gregarious man and he sort of got my attention and was like tell everyone to sit <laughs> but that was me i was ready i knew what i was gonna say but i didn't know that i was gonna have to ask everyone to sit down after after the couple had entered it happens to all of us lynn there will probably be something in your head that you view as a mistake whether anyone else knew or not it's very natural that maybe that'll help take the pressure off a little bit the final tip that i have dan and feel free to add on after this of course but is is that this is really about them and i think there can be sometimes a temptation when you're being asked to speak and this is true whether it's a toast whether it's to officiate whether it's uh, introducing someone at an event, something like that, there can be a, a tendency to feel like more is better. And I think this is one of the cases where keeping it simple, keeping it clean, keeping it sentimental is all worthwhile. But this sort of isn't a moment where you should feel pressure to come up with some amazing thought about love and lifetime commitment and journey and things like that. Obviously, you want to work with a couple. And if there are things like that that they want said, then that's good direction from them. But I think making sure that it's really about them. And I give this advice when it comes to wedding toasts and speeches as well. It, it can be really tempting to start talking about yourself and how you view this couple. And I think the better move is to keep the focus directly on them and the event that's happening right here and now. And so don't don't get nervous about having to make things big and poignant. It's a poignant moment no matter what you're doing. And so I feel like let the moment stand for what it is as best you can. I think that is such good advice. And you're right. It's advice that applies in a number of different contexts. But I think this is a particular moment where it's it's really relevant. Lizzie Post, as someone who often cries at weddings, I think that is awesome <laughs> advice. There is not a lot that you have to add to this moment for it to be meaningful and significant. And that is a really important thing to remember. Lynn, we are so excited for you. We hope that the wedding goes really well, both for you and for the couple. It is such an honor to be invited. Thank you for sharing your questions with all of us. How else can grown-ups find the sense of satisfaction, the dignity, the grace, the inner happiness of a full life? Marriage is still a goal for moderns. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our next question is titled, No Touchy. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for your awesome podcast. I love to play it with the kids in the car. I have a question that may be dated by the time you get it, but thought I would ask in case it comes up in the future. I recently attended my husband's Christmas work party. I have rheumatoid arthritis and take immunosuppressants, so I am cautious about being around too many people during this triple virus season that we are having. I didn't go to my own work party because it was at a restaurant and I wanted to avoid exposures indoors. My husband made it clear to me that it would mean a lot if I went to his, so I agreed to go for the outdoor appetizers. We live in San Diego, so the weather obliged. However, when we were there, I realized that as he introduced me to people, they all wanted to shake my hand. I was not comfortable with this as I work in healthcare and there are so many people with the flu and COVID in our area. I tried waving instead, but the look that people gave me was as though I had just spit in their soup. Someone joked that I should wear a sign that says I don't shake hands. Was there a better way for me to handle supporting my husband by being there but not shaking hands with dozens of people that I don't know? Thanks. Friendly, just not touchy. 
Oh, friendly. I am so sorry that this experience made you uncomfortable. And it sounds like the comments about it and the jokes about it didn't help. And I just wanted to affirm for you that that is not best behavior. And it's certainly not a license to respond in kind with rudeness, often a theme on this show. But I, I do want to affirm it for you because it complicates the response. And it means that you're required to manage your emotions and not respond in in kind. Absolutely. I also wanted to just applaud you for supporting your spouse. And yeah. I completely understand that some things are in that gray area where we're not entirely comfortable and we could kind of go two ways about it. And we'd just rather go this way. But with a little encouragement from your spouse telling you that this is something that, that he would really appreciate, you decided to go. And I just think that's admirable and I appreciate it. So I also want to support that decision by giving you the permission and, and letting you know from an etiquette perspective at the current moment, there's nothing wrong with declining a handshake if it's something right. that you're not comfortable with. You mentioned the triple virus season that we're in and mm -hmm. we're moving hopefully out of a time where the pandemic really shifted our social expectations of each other. And if we were answering this question three or four years ago, that the firmness of that social expectation might change the subtleties of how you navigated the situation in some ways. But here at the start of 2023, most people are at least aware at this stage that people are going to be approaching physical contact, particularly in public spaces, group gatherings in different mm -hmm. ways and mm -hmm. should be ready to, to have a little latitude in their mind for how they respond and to be accepting of people who make different choices about it. Dan, I actually think this is a great question and a really good time for us to be reminded of the fact that not everybody is going to either feel comfortable or feel safe engaging with some of those quote unquote returned normal behaviors. I think it can feel very easy if you're in that privileged health p position of not having to worry about it as much. And when you're not, it it's like, hey, guys, don't forget, this is still going on for a lot of people. So I think if you're someone who kind of just feels like the pandemic is over, it's a really good this question for me is a really good mental self check that when I go to events, I still want to be sensitive to people who aren't shaking hands or who are wearing masks or who are expressing concern about germ spread and things like that, that it's still polite to be sensitive. And I don't think that 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 some of the things that friendly just not touchy experienced were very polite or sensitive. So I want to put a call out that this is still an important thing for us to be aware of and to be polite and and considerate about. I think that rather than some kind of sign, which obviously was a not very well-placed joke, that simply going back to the sample language that we often gave during the pandemic is a great way to handle this. In a friendly tone, when someone reaches out their hand, you can simply say, and again, it doesn't have to be like, oh, sorry. It instead is just a friendly, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not shaking hands right now, but it is such a pleasure to meet you. I'm so glad to be here tonight. That friendliness, that emphasis on the pleasure of the greeting, but stating very clearly and quickly up front that you aren't shaking hands will definitely kind of call out the elephant in the room if you weren't saying it directly to people. I think it is really awkward when a hand is reached out and someone just waves in return or maybe gives a head nod. The wave and the head nod are perfectly respectful, but without acknowledging the decline of the handshake or a reason for it, I think that could create some uncomfortableness between the two, the, the two people who are trying to introduce themselves to each other or who are being introduced. And that might be, I think, what could stir up some, oh, oh, well, wish I'd known you didn't shake hands. I wouldn't have reached my hand out kind of responses that you were getting. I think that's a really important point to make, Lizzie. I was thinking about, and I'm not imagining this happening in the situation that Friendly was talking about, but someone extending their hand and the other person just sort of looking at it askance. If we want to <laughs> blow up the that, that feeling that you're talking about, addressing, acknowledging, and helping everyone to move through. And... I, I, I really like it. I took a crack at some sample scripts and they were all things that might follow the I'm not shaking hands right now. 
mm-hmm. and they all focused on the the warmth of that greeting of really using your words and your expression and your attention to say all the things that you would want to say with a warm, firm, generous handshake if you were doing that. So, mm-hmm. so good to meet you, be here with you, get to know my husband's work friends or team that colleagues (laughs) really making that explicit and 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 seizing that moment to take some ownership of the introduction and the quality of that experience is another way to to sort of rest that control back and take the attention away from whether or not people are shaking hands which really isn't the the only signifier of that greeting that could work in the situation Friendly but not touchy, we totally understand why you're still not shaking hands, and we hope that our sample language and examples help you to attend more events confidently in the future. Shake hands with danger, find it anywhere you choose. Be careless for a moment, spend a lifetime with the blues. Our next question is about conception complications. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have a very personal etiquette issue I'm dealing with, and I would love your help. I've heard a variation of this question before on the podcast, but I don't know if you've talked about this scenario before. Here's my situation. I have a two and a half year old son who is the light of my and my husband's lives. I've had two miscarriages since this summer, and I get asked all the time if we're having more kids when we're having more kids, etc. I'll also get comments like, we should have another child because our toddler is so cute, or we should have another child soon because you don't want to have your children too far apart in age. I've also been told that I should get on it when it comes to having more kids. I know people generally mean well, except that last comment, and that their intentions aren't malicious. But these comments and all the external pressure that they put on me is excruciating. I should also add that these questions generally don't come from someone who has known about my losses. Mm. If the moment has felt right, I've confided about the losses as an answer to these questions. Sometimes I felt guilty after doing so because I didn't necessarily want to say anything and it doesn't feel proper. Am I wrong to be answering that way? Another time, it led to a conversation with my friend's mom, and she was so supportive because she had been through the same thing, and it felt nice to share. Other times, I don't want to share or talk about the losses, so I give an uncomfortable mumble. Almost always, these comments leave me hurt, anger me, and add to the pressure I'm already feeling. I'm almost always caught off guard when I hear these questions and comments because people seem to say things like this out of nowhere. So my question is... How should I respond to these questions and comments? I would love any sample scripts or advice you have. I can also imagine that I'm not your only listener who's been in this situation. If it's not too much to ask, I'd love to know how some of the audience members have dealt with this. Alicia. Alicia, thank you so much for this question. And I want to start it by recognizing just how horribly hard this situation is. I think that people, that the, the The job we have to do is less about Alicia choosing one certain pathway to answer all of these types of questions that come her way, and much more about getting the word out that these types of questions are not appropriate, that they're not the kinds of things you should be asking parents. Just because you see one child doesn't mean that there is going to be, should be, or has to be a second in any in any capacity, whether it's through adoption or surrogacy or through a woman, a person getting pregnant, we have got to change as a society how we view or how ready we are to talk about this when we see it. Because it's we see someone with a kid and we automatically assume that it's okay to make comments like these. It's not. These are all rude questions and comments that are coming at Alicia. And the problem with rudeness is that when it rears its ugly head, it does the kinds of things that Alicia's feeling. It can make us anxious. It can make us uncomfortable. It can sometimes even make us angry. The thing that makes this so incredibly hard that you don't want to silence people into not having conversations. You don't want to 
put these issues behind a screen that says, no, it's not polite to ever talk about them, either from the rude question asking perspective or from the perspective of someone who would like to talk about them. The moment that Alicia describes with her friend's mother is a beautiful one. And it's one that 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 when you're going through something tough, whether it's kids or partner problems or just personal, your your own mental health or your own physical health, you know, your own relation to other people, when you find someone you can connect with, you it immediately does act like this kind of salve. It gives you a sense of not being alone. And so, Alicia, when I hear this question and when I read everything you've gone through with it, I want to both encourage everyone else out there to really watch themselves. When you're talking about other people's kids, I go back to what our, our wonderful business etiquette, train the trainer program graduate Chandran Kaliman suggests, which is to not ask people about their kids, to wait for them to bring it up. And I think that that is honestly my most important advice in this question. It's not to Alicia, it's to everybody else in the world, everyone else who's <laughs> listening. And instead to say to Alicia, whatever feels right for you in the moment, is I think right in the moment. If you're feeling like you're having a moment where you could tell someone, hey, that question is really uncomfortable for me and I feel like I should let you know that, then you can do that. If the right thing to do is to say, you know, we're just not certain how we're going to move forward with our family right now, then that's the right thing to do. If it's to engage in a conversation like you did with your friend's mother, then that's the right thing to do. But I'm putting the power in Alicia right now. I'm saying that when people are going through this, it's up to them to decide what's going to be the right thing in that moment. Lizzie, I was really curious what you were going to say in answer to this question, because I remember very well in the editing process for the centennial edition of Etiquette that you were really certain and really clear about wanting to include miscarriage, the word miscarriage in the yeah. book, and that you wanted to include advice for how people talk about miscarriage, how we acknowledge it. And it was important to you because of exactly the things you said in your answer, that it's not necessarily about whether or not it's okay or not to have these conversations, but how we do them is so, so, so important. And it's important on both sides. It is important for people to be able to talk about the things that happen to them, to be able to process and grieve and share both the the good things in life, but also the difficult things in life. On the other side, it is such a good reminder to everyone that so often – new families, new family energy, kids are so exciting to people. Yeah. And they make people feel so good. One of the things that's particularly challenging about this kind of rudeness is that often it comes from a place of wanting to share excitement and enthusiasm and support. And because the how isn't right, because it's not done in the right way with the right timing, it ends up having exactly the opposite of the intended effect. It doesn't bring people closer. It makes people uncomfortable and, and, and pushes them apart. Potentially mm -hmm. your reminder to be careful about talking or asking about people's kids, really important, especially important when you're talking about the process of having kids. Yes. If people's kids are incredibly personal and private, the process of having kids is probably even more like personal and private. Exponentially more personal and private. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've got that little caution mark in your mind, oh, I don't ask about people's kids till they bring it up. If you're talking about the process of having kids, just a great big um, warning caution sign in your mind on that topic, not because you shouldn't talk about it, but just because you need to take extra care with how you do it. I wanted to address a couple of specific etiquette points sure. and it came up in the, the question, is it improper for me to share? And I just wanted to affirm what you wanted to affirm by having this topic included in the centennial edition of etiquette. There is nothing improper per se about talking about miscarriage, particularly your own miscarriage, particularly if someone has already been asking about you having more kids. It really is up to you and how you do it matters. You can't be rude or attack someone or respond with the same uh, lack of, of awareness that they show in asking, but the topic itself is not verboten. The fact that someone else has already asked you about it gives you a little more latitude in terms of your response. And I like your sample scripts, Lizzie, that went all the way from acknowledging how uncomfortable the question makes you feel to just declining to get into it. 
or, or answering the question if that's what you want to do, if the moment feels right, or it feels like there's an opportunity for you to do that in a way that that would be good for both people involved. Because it is such a personal thing, I think it really is up to you what kind of sample script or scripts you want to develop. But having a couple in your pocket, maybe that allow you to respond, depending on the situation and the way that you would like, might help you to feel less caught off guard. And yeah. I think that would also be something that could really help avoid that moment of sort of mumbling or obfuscation that I think based on the way you asked, it feels a little uncomfortable to you or like it's not you doing what you would want to best represent yourself. Yeah. Alicia, thank you so much for bringing this question to us and our audience. And we want to echo your request for other audience members to please chime in. What are some things that have worked for you to feel better as you move through this potentially very awkward stage of building your family? We would really love to, to hear more thoughts and experiences on this to help open up the topic a bit more. Thank you so much for writing to us with your question, and we certainly hope that our answer helps. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is titled Tacky Thank Yous. This question comes to us via text message. Love the podcast. What are your thoughts on sending thank you notes on stationery pre-printed with some sort of thank you design or message? I was taught this was tacky, if not outright gauche. Wiley. Oh, Wiley. <laughs> there is a great big etiquette caution flag like, <laughs> flashing red on and off in front of me right now. And I feel like I'm about to shock the heck out of you, too. <laughs> oh, no. And now that now that sign stops flashing, it just turned red and a siren started it's on, going off. Right? It's just on. It's like in, in, in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when they got to do the auxiliary power. Anyway, sorry. I am Chevy. Too chase over the holidays movies. but we will get back to this question because <laughs> there is no avoiding it lizzie post and this is this is a, a low stakes very tough etiquette question i love thank yous i love gratitude i never want to tell anyone not to send a thank you card i yeah i want to acknowledge that there are ways to take a pre-printed thank you card a note with a printed thank you on it either on the front or as part of the message that's inside the card and to personalize it, to include yeah. your own note of thanks that that elevates that card and doesn't lean on or rely on a pre-printed message of thanks to convey the gratitude that you want to express warmly and personally. Yeah. And having said all of that, I want to acknowledge that this impression or this idea that a pre-printed thank you note is tacky or gauche does exist out there. I'm mm -hmm. not surprised to hear Wiley ask this question. <laughs> I'm not surprised that it's an impression that people have. And I, I want to acknowledge that and say that, that, that yes, and there is a reason behind it, that, that if you were relying <laughs> on that printed thank you note, that your message could come off as pro forma or rote and just not feel genuine or authentic and hence be perceived as tacky. But it's not that the, the universally the use of a card with a preprinted thank you is tacky. Lizzie <laughs> Post, help me out here, please. So you hear me giggling because years ago, years and years ago at Emily Post, when I was a, a young thing, we ordered thank you notes as a as a company stationery. We had these nice fold over notes, but they said thank you on them, and I thought they were tacky. I was with you, Wiley. I was like, oh, come on, really, guys? <laughs> like, I mean, you had to put the words on it. still got a box it. of them in storage. Like, goodness, I'm still trying to pass Dan off the other box. But Dan Dan didn't mind him. He was like, nah, you know, whatever. And I have totally changed my tune. And I, it's not that I think that one is better than the other. I think the pre-printed ones come off a little more, like, I almost want to say, like, 
jovial or friendly. And so maybe if I was doing like a really sincere thank you for something more serious, like a job interview, I might lean more into a personalized piece of stationery or something like that, or a, a card that didn't have any wording on it or something like that, or any wording inside it either. But personally, I have come around to not find the thank you written on it to be gauche or tacky or lazy. That was another thing that I associated with it back when I had this view. And I think those views are out there. Clearly, I was someone who had them. But I've seen enough cards that are done nicely, done well, and that frankly show up with a beautiful handwritten note inside of them that it it basically just serves as an announcement of the type of card that you're receiving that this is what you're going to find inside when you flip it open or turn it over if it's a just a single blank. But I really don't have a problem with it anymore. I don't think at the Institute we see them as tacky or inappropriate. But I do think that everything Dan has said is spot on. You really want to make sure that your words are the message the person's receiving and not the pre-printed ones on a card. And this goes double for any kind of big event where you're sending out a thank you, you never pre-print those. You might order thank you cards that say thank you on the outside, but that is a handwritten note that has to go in there. So for weddings, for really big anniversary parties or gifts, for uh, retirements, these are all times when that handwritten note – and again, also job interviews I think would be a time where I'd probably go with one that doesn't say thank you on it. There might be an image. you know, It might not just be – uh, personalized stationery. You might have just bought a 10 pack of cards from, you know, a company or something like that. But I'm so much more in the forgiving camp on this stand than I used to be. <laughs> I just want to applaud your capacity for change. Just oh, for a thank moment you. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to say growth because who knows? This might be a slide. This might be a growth, but it's it's definitely change. And I well, thank you for for holding my hand through it and for using up all of our thank you cards that I don't like. <laughs> I also am liking this answer more and more the longer it goes on. I am, as I hear you talk, thinking about that thank you on a pre-printed card functioning the way the balloons on some personal stationery might function. Yeah. That, you know, they're great, but you wouldn't just <laughs> send someone stationery with some balloons on it and say, okay, that was my festive note to them. It would also include a, a note. And the balloons on that that stationery function much better in social contexts, among friends, for lighter touch communication, but mm -hmm. that you probably wouldn't use your balloon stationery for, like you say, a note of, of more significance, whatever that, that particular thing is. And if the thanks that you're offering is for something more significant and you had a choice between a card with a pre-printed thank you on it and one that, that didn't and you wanted to be safe about not landing it on the desk of someone who was thinking like you were thinking 15 years ago, Lizzie Post, or like some <laughs> people out there, Wiley among them, might have in their mind th this idea. Wiley, thank you so much for the question. Thank you for texting it. We don't get a lot of questions via text. It's sort of fun to get one that's a little bit shorter. Even though you didn't ask a long question, we clearly had a lot to say about it. Good manners make good first impressions. And because your manners are showing all the time, they have a lot to do with how well people like you. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463, or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst, on Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute, and on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
If you love awesome etiquette, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. We have moved our sustaining memberships from Patreon over to our Substack. You can join by going to emilypost.substack.com. You'll get an ads-free version of the show, access to bonus questions and content, including our discussion threads and community, and live calls with Dan and myself. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air. To those of you who are already paid subscribers, Thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today we have feedback from Lizzie. No, not that one. About dealing with neighbors. We have a friendly relationship with our neighbors, and recently they started letting their dogs out before 6 a.m. each day, and the dogs were barking a lot. This happened to be right outside our bedroom window and was really disruptive to our sleep even with our sound machines cranked all the way up. While thinking about how to best approach this recent development, I received a text from the neighbor saying their young child was waking up early, and did I have any tips for sleep at that age as our kids are older? After providing some tips that worked for us, I used the inquiry as an opening for discussing the dogs. I said something like this. Speaking of early risers... I noticed that the dogs have been outside before 6 a.m. recently, and unfortunately, their barking is waking us up. I'm sure you had no idea, but I thought it might be worth mentioning in case there's another option for the dogs at that time of day. The neighbor quickly apologized and thanked us for saying something. We haven't had any early wake-ups since. I was channeling you both in my response, and it worked (laughs) out wonderfully. Thank you for your thoughtful advice, as always, Lizzie. Oh, Lizzie, thank you so much. And we're very glad that you are getting some good sleep. I hope your tips for your neighbor's child are working just as well. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next question, piece of feedback, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. time for our postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette and today we're going to talk about and we know it is bittersweet getting back to work when you might not be going back to an office setting this is an interesting time for a lot of people in that the work world for many many people has changed dramatically in the last couple of years and Returning to work doesn't always necessarily mean what it meant a couple years ago for a lot of people we, they are still working remotely or people are starting to find themselves in these new hybrid work environments where you're asked to be in the office sometime, but given more flexibility around schedule and where you work. And this is generating a lot of questions. We're hearing from people who are wondering what the new standards are in a workplace that's looking like it might be a very different workplace and not one that's going back to a situation that we were all much more familiar with just a couple years ago. Dan, I definitely appreciate this postscript. And I wondered if maybe after yesterday's initial day back on the, the third, if it was Was I too much, Lizzie Post? Did I come on a little strong? Encourage me. <laughs> I was having that day, y'all, where I was not ready to be back at work yesterday. <laughs> it was a soft landing. We did not hit the ground running yesterday. But uh but it was it was very helpful to get on the phone with you to feel connected, to to kind of jog that work brain back into place. Yeah. But I also know that you and I have had a couple meetings in the past month where you were even talking about the lack of some of the incidental things that would happen at work were starting to get to you. Um, <clears throat> for anyone who's listened to the show for a very long time, you may have picked up on my extreme love of whiteboards. And <laughs> chalkboards, right. whiteboards, anything big that we can write on, I'm a fan. And they used to be really prevalent in our office, everything from supplies to plans for the year to all kinds of things were written out on whiteboards. And one of the things that you and I came up with was that your office actually needed some whiteboards for you to remember some things or kind of have some bigger moving projects on some of those kind of ever present things so that we don't lose sight of doing them daily. And I thought it was such a great self-reflection on 
what is my and even though you have an actual office you go to it's it's not the same as the office we used to work in with like 12 people and you know six rooms or something like that it was a a good reminder that setting yourself up well finding the ways to connect and get grounded within your work are really important and sometimes those are those incidental things like a 5 minute hey as you're on a little coffee break or something like that and other times it's visual stimulation that's needed. But it, it really impressed me. So I was kind of excited both to have your encouragement yesterday and to dive into this topic today. It's such a great reminder. I like where you started your reflection on this topic, thinking about the, the you called them incidental things yeah. that happen in work, but just the, the feeling of being with other people getting back to work. There's a certain social momentum yes. that you can feed off of. And that's not about work product. That's not about whether or not you've got the meetings scheduled or have the materials ready. It's it's a feeling, but it's a feeling that supports work. And when you look at what people identify, and we have data on this that are the biggest challenges about remote work or hybrid work environments, some of the top issues that people experience, difficulties that they face are things that are they sound like etiquette questions. They're issues yeah. around communication, feelings of social isolation, loss of um, social opportunities, or feeling disconnected from work colleagues. Those are all etiquette topics that were part of our business training before the hybrid remote work environment exacerbated them and challenged them even more. And oftentimes, some of the solutions to the biggest challenges facing these types of work environments are good etiquette solutions or good etiquette approaches. I thought that I would guide us today through the four topics that are presented in our working from home article at emilypost.com. We'll provide a link in the show description, but the big picture thinking can oftentimes help focus the work and create better work product, whatever it is. The first big thought or the first big tip is that it's really important to lean into schedules when you're not physically together, when you don't have the information of seeing people come and go and just knowing what they're up to because you're able to witness it or experience it and be around it means that that information has to be communicated or groups are better served if it is. Calendars can be a lifeline. And if you're using your calendar really well, really effectively, it can help with some of these issues. It can't solve it completely, but it can help a lot. The specific tips are that you want to use it to both communicate what you're doing, that you don't need to just put on your calendar the times when you're meeting with other people, but you can block out time that you're working on things so people know that you're not available at those times, but they also understand what you're doing. It becomes a a visual cue and just an actual record of that work being done instead of someone walking past your desk and seeing you working on it they see it on your calendar of course it's also important to carve out time that you're not available if in your remote schedule you have a lot of flexibility and that's great it increases your productivity but there's that hour in the middle of the day <clears throat> guilty or not guilty but uh <laughs> participant in, you have a daycare run that happens at one o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays or a school pickup that happens on Wednesdays at 2.30. Having that on the calendar helps people understand that it's not necessarily time off from work. You got flexible time. There's other time that you will make it up, but that you can't schedule a call at that time. So it's both what you're doing and also time that you're not available, even if it isn't work related. Another good idea, and I'll leave it on the calendars because I could go on and on about calendars. <laughs> it's not a bad idea to put availability on a calendar, open availability. These are good times to call me. These are good times to schedule. If mm -hmm. there's free time on your calendar where you know you'll be working and available, but you don't have things scheduled, that can be really helpful for other people to know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Dan, much of what I had started my reflection on is really about this next point, which is called creating that work vibe. And I appreciate the chance to get to talk about it. I was uh, passing through my office the other day where in my house, you have to walk through the office to get to the stairs to go upstairs. And I kind of took a moment on the stairs to gaze out over my office. And I was really proud of it. I'm fortunate enough in my situation to have a room in my house that is dedicated to my work. 
And I was thinking about what it has looked like over the years. And Dan, you had made a comment about um, me and feeling inspired by my go-get-itness that's been going on over the past two years. And I think a lot of it actually comes from having a great work environment at home, having carved out a good space in my home for my work and to to feel comfortable into that in that space, to feel like it meets my needs. I know that not everybody can do this, but I say do it to the best of your ability and really take the time to think about that workspace and creating a vibe that works for you. For me, one of the big things back when we had an official office that everybody went to was getting to have some kind of a comfy chair or maybe even a couch in your office. And Dan and I both over the years carved out those spaces in our offices when we rented an office space. And at home, I actually found that was a really nice addition. Not only does it create a beautiful place for Sunny to sleep during the day while I work, but for me, it creates a friendly atmosphere and an atmosphere that even though I, a you know, single person on my own in a house working alone, basically, there's room for people to come in. So when Dan does come to Burlington and join me at my house for a day and joins me at my house for a day, he can sit in some of these areas. It's a comfortable space to come into. There's a place for him to put his computer down and work. There's a place for us to sit and have a cup of coffee together. And that feels really, really good. In addition, there's my giant whiteboard that has everything going on at Emily Post. And I try to keep that updated. For me, the balance of this room between very work-related things like our books and my computer and the whiteboard and the coziness of the room between the, the couch and the chair that I have and the fact that my dog is in here, there's a nice rug. So for me, that brings a coziness and a comfort to it. It becomes both a soft space for me to land in and also a place that's stimulating my work brain. You know, all those all those notes on that whiteboard really do it for me, cuz. <laughs> if everyone went into offices, everyone's offices would still look different. If you mm-hmm. didn't work at IBM where there are very strict rules about what your office looks like. But right. people have different needs in terms of their workspaces, but most people have a workspace that fulfills their work needs. And I like the way you're thinking about that. Sometimes it's a routine. Sometimes it's yes. about a certain practice. It's, oh, mm-hmm. when, when I get my cup of tea in a certain thermos with the right amount of honey, <laughs> that indicates the start of my workday. Or maybe it's a pair of shoes. Maybe it's a certain outfit. Maybe it's attire. In the same mm-hmm. ways, when we talk about business etiquette, attire, and personal brand, we acknowledge that that playing a role, that 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 physically dressing up, transforming yourself, has certain psychological impacts and effects. It can be true when you're working from home, just like it's true before you get ready to go into work at the start of the day. Absolutely. And Dan, I feel like that transitions very well to our next topic, which is video calls and really preparing yourself well for a video call, being ready for these calls, being in a work mode for these calls is really important. And for some of us that, you know, casual attire, athleisure wear is going to end up working. But at the same time, for a lot of us, Really dressing up, really making sure that we are showing up fully dressed for a a video call is important and that we're fully present for it, that our attention is on it, that we're not reading emails or, uh, you know, scratching the dog's head. You know what I mean? It's like we really do want our full focus to be there and to treat it as if we are in that conference room with everybody present. You know what one of my favorite little tips for that is? What is it? Have a pen in hand. Have have a notebook handy. Approach a video call like you would approach a meeting where something that is worthwhile enough that you might actually want to write it down or remember it could happen. And even just that level of preparation and engagement, but then also having a, a, a visual cue that that's what's going on because people can see you. And I'm going to get to that in just a second can be a good way to to, to start to play the part in a way that is honest, that is sincere in terms of what it communicates to the people that you're working with. I have a very short video call checklist, and it's going to start with the most obvious piece of advice, but it's the biggest mistake that people make. Turn the camera on. If other people are visible and present in the call, it behooves you to be visible and present 
on the call as well. It might be your 10th Zoom meeting of the day, but the other people have managed to get there. It might be their 15th. It might be their first. You just don't know. But it's it's not about you and what you've done previously that day. It really is about bringing yourself, as Lizzie said, with your attention and, and your capacity to participate fully. And that begins with turning the camera on. It doesn't help to turn the camera on if you're sitting in a dark room or your face is in shadow. <laughs> Good light totally. is another mistake that people often make. Yeah. People who are well-intentioned, who have managed to run a brush through their hair, are sitting up straight, have put on a, a collared shirt or a blouse that they like that makes them feel good. But if you're not well lit, that's another mistake. It doesn't mean you have to go invest in ring lights and fancy di light diffusers, but just think about the lighting as part of the space that you're in. Dan, I'm looking at my own lighting right now, which I use. I have a like a uh, one of those kind of overhead lamps in my office, and I just aim it at my wall, which is a nice blushy pink, and it reflects that light on my face. Like that's how I yeah. manage. Like no ring lights or anything, but you do what you can, and it can really make a big difference. And as you point out, two light sources is often enough to reduce yep. the kind of shadowing that can um, make you look more tired than you are, are. in a given yeah. situation. Obviously, being well-groomed, avoiding distracting backgrounds or backgrounds that are not professional in nature it are things that would round out any list of good advice or etiquette for video calls. Finally, we'd like to talk about the idea of working from home and balancing your life with others. This can take quite a lot of boundary setting, quite a lot of communication, and it can try our patience, which is why it's definitely something that we want to just be aware that it kind of can very easily slip into a negative territory and that we want to be bringing our very best selves our most positive question asking selves to the forefront because nobody wants to hear that yelling, angry voice coming from the other room. Keep it down. Don't you know I'm on a call? Especially not the people on the call, but also your family, your, your roommates. You don't want to have that kind of relationship with them. And therefore really making sure that your communication is clear that everybody is on board with what it means when certain things are happening in the house. So if, for instance, you're on a, you have one of those video calls that's going to be coming up that everybody in the family or everybody in the household knows when that call is, you also give everyone a heads up shortly before it so that they have time to clear out, do what they need to do to allow you to have the space to make the call. These kinds of negotiations are going to happen all the time. They aren't always going to go perfectly. And even in recognizing that, it doesn't mean there's an excuse for not apologizing when they do go badly or when we let ourselves hit that anger point and are rude in our requests from apologizing afterwards and saying, I'm really sorry, I, I shouldn't have spoken that way. You know, I, I was frustrated, but I should not have spoken that way. And I think it's really important when we're dealing with this work-life balance at home that communication is at the forefront. It is unavoidable that when we bring our work home, we bring our home into our work. Yeah. And bringing the same level of intentionality that we manage our work lives with to managing the potential impacts that that home life can have on work is important for everyone involved. We certainly don't want to treat our pets like they are colleagues, but the third or fourth time the cat jumps into the middle of that video call or the bandwidth for the, the thing that you're doing isn't available because of the video game tournament that's going on upstairs, mm. they start to become important issues and um, particularly important for those professional relationships that we're really talking about honoring and supporting in this postscript. There is not one module of business etiquette that we've been teaching at Emily Post for the last 15 years that hasn't been impacted in some way by the pandemic and particularly by the remote work challenges that people are facing. We know that ultimately business is built on relationships, that it is the oldest cliche because it is so universally true. Whether you're buying, selling, making, managing, creating, distributing, the business of doing any of those things involves connecting people and coordinating with others. We can do it. We can all do it together. We know that etiquette changes and evolves. And at the Emily Post Institute, we've been watching it happen for a hundred years. This has been a big change. This has been a big evolution 
We're really curious what you're encountering, what you're seeing out there. If you have other tips or ideas, things that are working really well or new challenges that you're facing, we would love to hear about it. We would love to feature those particular thoughts in feedback on our coming shows. So please do share anything that you can with us. We hope that this postscript helps and that everyone has a productive 2023. Of course, this is more than a story of wallpaper and slipcovers. It's a story of improvements in the tailors themselves, for they are a far happier and better family since they learn to share the work at home. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Claire. Hi, Awesome Etiquette team. I wanted to send a salute to all the people who helped me in a place where you might never even expect to find etiquette these days. On Twitter! Woohoo! Oh boy, I'm excited <laughs> to hear this. I posted an etiquette question about how to handle holiday cards that are repeatedly sent to me using my husband's last name when I kept my last name when we got married. I asked if it was rude to correct people and for potential sample scripts. And boy, did people respond. They had really thoughtful and helpful suggestions that I put into practice with mostly good results. You can see people's responses in the link below. Feel free to share on the podcast and thank you for all you do. All the best, Claire. Claire, thank you so much for posing the question to Twitter and for sending us the responses. This is a lot of fun to read and some really great advice in here. What an unexpected etiquette salute. Go Twitter. We will definitely post this with the show posting. Claire, thank you so much for sending us the salute. And thank you for listening today. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Substack. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, coworkers, the stranger on the bus, or even on social media. You can send us your next question, feedback, or etiquette salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the show by visiting emilypost.substack.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.